This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. This is the first part in a series about money and how it affects the church. Subscribe to Truce in your podcasting app and you'll get every new episode as it comes out. One of the biggest issues in the church is money. Always has been. It makes us uncomfortable. Churches are supposed to be places of refuge, prayer, and worship. And they are, of course. But that stuff doesn't come free. We've got to keep the lights on, pay for the building, for upkeep, insurance, pastor's wages, and maybe a parsonage, Bibles, Sunday school curriculum, the pews and chairs, vacuum cleaners, even toilet paper. Money whether we like it or not, has to come from somewhere. In most churches, that money is donated by people who attend that church. And there's a golden number, a rule of thumb, an amount of your paycheck that some say you should be handing over every week. Most of us know what that number is. Does anybody know what that number is generally? 10%. It finally got warm enough this week to go camping. So, in typical truce fashion, I brought my audio equipment to a party. Some campfire just overlooking the river and all the granite peaks around. It's really ugly, so nobody else should want to come here ever. So, <laughs> uh, And we just all spent the night in our vehicles or tents and uh, making breakfast by the campfire. My friends and I gathered around an early morning campfire to talk about money how it gets to the church from us. Okay, so I'm, I'm over by the river here and I'm just gonna do, I'm gonna do the opening line. You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, out in the wilderness, and this is Truce. Yeah, does anybody first know when tithing appeared in the Bible? Was Can- it when? Cain and Abel. That was the first time someone made an offering to God. Now, the first time someone gave 10% to the work of God, that was in Genesis 14. Tithing is kind of a fancy word we use sometimes. It's used in most churches to refer to the money we give to the church, often on Sunday mornings when the plate is passed around. You know what the word tithe means? Well, in in my understanding, it's... uh giving a portion of what you have, but I don't know if that's true either. In Hebrew, it literally means a tenth. So, Genesis 14. In this chapter, we encounter Abram. You might have heard of this guy. Abram was one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith who would later be called Abraham. And in chapter 14, he goes to war with a bunch of different cities. And he wins, seizing all kinds of spoils of war, many of which had been stolen by his enemies. In the process, he meets this fellow who has one of the best names in the Bible, Melchizedek. What? You know his name. Let's start with an M. Uh, Melchizedek. Yes, wow! (laughs) Thank you for the hint. So who is this Melchizedek guy? Here's a friend of mine reading from Genesis 14. He was a priest of God most high. So a nice guy to know. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies unto your hands, 
Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Well, that's Abram, I guess. But. <laughs> In order to say thanks for the blessing, Abram gives up a tenth of the spoils of war to the high priest. Big thing to note here, he gives it up without being told to do so. God didn't command him to do this. He just did it. Gave 10% to the work of God. And the Jewish religion was in its infancy at this point. There was no temple and no Jewish law. The 10% was not required yet. Then there's this guy, Jacob, another one of the founding fathers of the Jewish people. Jacob has a dream in Genesis 28. In that dream, God tells Jacob, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. That's it, yeah. Isn't that simple? It's going to take some slavery in Egypt and some serious wars to fulfill that, but God has given Jacob this promise. His response to God is, I will give you a tenth. In other words, a tithe. Let me ask you, given Jacob's gift, were the people of his time commanded to give 10%? Still, no, because he just did it. He wasn't commanded to do so. Or, as theologians might say, it wasn't prescribed. This was also before the temple in Jerusalem, before the law. There were no lights to keep on, no vacuum cleaners to buy. Guys like this gave of their wealth as a way of saying thanks to God. Until the law of Moses. When Moses received the law from God, and after he gives them a list of things they can and can't eat, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. He also commands them how to treat the sick and their servants, stuff like that. I kind of like to read the law because you can see not only God telling them what he wants, but you get to see a civilization being born. Then God commands the people, you shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. It's not just grains, but wine and livestock and all of that. Or if they had to transport their offering a long way, they could just bring money. This time though, it's a command. 10% becomes the rule. 10% of your yearly income. So now we've got our magic number, the one that so many Christians hold on to. This money was meant for the Levites, the priestly bloodline within the Jewish people. They didn't get any land when they arrived in Israel, so this money is to sustain the priesthood, among other things. There are theories, of course, that say, no, it wasn't just 10%. There were two, maybe three different offerings in the Old Testament. Meaning, it may have actually totaled 20 to 23% of your annual income. But honestly, I got lost in the weeds here, and we've got a lot of ground to cover. And as we're about to see, the rule of 10% may no longer apply. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. 
these stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith. Because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. We've covered God giving the law to Moses. In the intervening scriptures between the Old Testament and the New, the temple has come and gone a few times, and the Jewish people were exiled again. Then came Jesus, and with him a new covenant. A covenant is a super strong binding contract. When a new covenant comes in, the old one goes away. Jesus fulfilled the law of the Old Testament, and now we've got something different. Here's the sticky spot. The new covenant doesn't reinforce the 10% number. It's just not there. Read it again and again, and you won't find a command to give a tidy 10%. News like that might make some of us happy. Except, like it often does, the New Testament goes on to raise the bar. This is 2 Corinthians 9-7, read at the campfire by one of my friends. 2 Corinthians 9-7, each one must do as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Maybe that didn't sink in. Basically, we're no longer limited to 10%, but whatever God puts on your heart, which could be 15% or 20% or 30, maybe the whole kit and caboodle. And that is a little unsettling, because the New Testament is far more comfortable with ambiguity than we are. We like 10%. It's an easy calculation. We know exactly what it means. 10% is what you give to a waiter who maybe didn't do so well. No big deal. It's so convenient that there are some preachers who still hold on to it. Here is the prosperity gospel preacher, Jerry Seville. Don't allow anyone to tell you that sowing and reaping is under the law and we don't have to do it anymore. Not only that, we not only have the privilege of tithing and the privilege of giving and the privilege of sowing and the privilege of blessing other people, being a blessing. But we also have the right to expect a harvest. Which brings us to the first reason we wanted to talk about this on Truce. So much of the Christian life is about holding things in tension. We aren't saved by our works, but we still have to do them anyway. We're supposed to love our enemies, which is difficult because they are our enemies. If we've gone to the length of calling someone an enemy, we've got a real problem with them, and still, God tells us to love them. The Christian walk is all about these tensions. It's the same for money. We're not supposed to love money, but we need money just to live life to buy groceries, to pay rent, file our taxes, not to mention keep the lights on in church, maybe pay the pastor and staff. It says in 1 Corinthians 9 that people who do God's work deserve to be paid for it. Even when they were building the temple in the Old Testament, they were commanded to pay the workers, not just use volunteers, leading again to attention. We're supposed to pay pastors, missionaries, etc. for their work, 
but how much? Which brings us to April 2019. An Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers was suddenly in the New York Times. It now has over 178,000 followers. The account shows famous pastors wearing expensive sneakers, like a South Carolina preacher named John Gray sporting a $5,000 pair of shoes. The pastors in these pictures sometimes say that the shoes and clothes are given to them, and that they are helpful when reaching millennial audiences with expensive tastes. But what does it look like to the outside world, to people who are skeptical about where donated funds go? We cringe when we see pastors wearing expensive clothes, but is it inherently wrong for preachers to have nice things? Do pastors need to take a vow of poverty? For that matter, do you and I have to take a vow of poverty? This discussion turns really dark when our spiritual leaders try to strong-arm congregations into paying more and more money to the church. We see this all the time on Christian television. And the verse of choice when you want to strong-arm a congregation? Malachi 3, 8 through 10. This is God talking, though, of course, it's read by a friend of mine at the campfire. Okay, this is, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Thank you very much. Once again, we get into a sticky situation. This verse is from the Old Covenant. Not to mention, this verse is about bringing tithes to the house of God, which no longer exists in Jerusalem. Yet, there is a promise that God will bless those who give. Not to mention, there are a lot of personal testimonies from people who give and God blesses them. Is it okay to use this verse to get more money out of people? What if God hasn't put the pastor's desired dollar amount on the hearts of the congregation? As per usual, it boils down to this. We're overcomplicating it. Trying to use the Old Testament when it suits us and ignoring it when it doesn't. Just give money when God puts it on your heart pray about it, and do what you're called to do. We are told to give. We are. We're supposed to pay those who do God's work. Whether or not that means buying private jets and Yeezys is another thing. Bringing us to the second reason we're talking about this. We're at the beginning of a series about how money impacts the church, especially big money. How we can buy influence and how our perceptions change based on where the money goes. This is key. Because we Christians are told in the Bible to give to God's work. Does giving to homeless shelters count? Or church building funds? Those examples are pretty straightforward and not controversial. What about funding pro-life causes? Or funding politicians? Or political parties? Since we're pretty comfortable marrying our political beliefs with our religious ones, some of us don't see the difference between dropping a check in the plate on Sunday and backing a politician who might give us what we want. What if I use the money God gave me to skirt taxes in ways that poor people can't? 
What if I go to church on Sundays, give money to great causes, and then ruthlessly break my business competition, underpay my employees? Does it matter where our money comes from? Does it matter exactly where it goes? Can I use my Christian giving to gain power and influence for myself or my company? Those stories and more in the coming weeks. Stay with us. As always, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this topic, so record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. We may even use your comments in a future episode. Special thanks to everyone who gave their voice to this show. Truce is a listener-supported project. We're on Patreon and GoFundMe, and you can send us a check via the website. I know it may seem a little weird that we're talking about money at the same time that I'm asking for help, but I'd like to make this show a full-time job. Most Christian podcasts are just people sitting around a mic talking about life. Truce is different. It takes time, research. If you like what we're doing, consider helping us out. You can find our social media links and much more at trucepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Sterren, and this is Truce.